Hey, this is Dina Marto on The Decan Show, and you can follow me at Miss Marto on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, dinamarto.com. Yo, check it out. A whole new generation of young people today who belong nowhere. But I prefer to be now cast during culture kids where the concept of the Decan is the, the corner shop or the top uh, We are live outside. Hey, yo, what's up, people? What up, nation? It's a revolution of expression. You can do the Decan Show. Stay tuned in. Arab digital generation is shaping our identity. Welcome to your tribe. All right, cool. So I want to read a part of your bio, Dina, for those that don't know who you are, and then I'll let you introduce yourself. But just sort of a, a quick teaser, right? Dina Marto, uh, this is an entrepreneur having shattered gender and ethnic glass ceilings during her nearly 20 years as a music executive and a small business owner. A female powerhouse known as the behind-the-scenes secret weapon, which I would love for you to tell us more about that, to being in the forefront with her many TV cameos, uh, hashtag Marto Minute, inspirational videos, panel discussions, and speaking engagements. Named to Atlanta Business Chronicle's 40 Under 40 list as just a 27-year-old Arab-American roots, making her an anomaly in a male-dominated arena where women of her background have seen rare success. As the founder and visionary of Atlanta's staple 12 Music and Studios that was established in 2012, she has curated one of the South's most sought-after creative environments to develop talent and produce billboard-shattering hits. In 2015, Dina received a proclamation from the city of Atlanta for a contribution to the music industry. After seven years of managing and operating, she recently transferred ownership of the recording studio, successfully selling her first business. So congratulations on selling your first business. Congratulations. Thank you. This is one of the most exciting bios I've read in a while. Oh, thank you. And I think, I mean, you know, partially I'd like to shout out James because <laughs> if anybody's Andrew. been the super networker. Yes. James Andrews is the man to be celebrated for that constantly. <laughs> I've been knowing him forever. So I'm, I'm happy to like, introduce this. Yeah, maybe like 20 years or, or like 18 years or something like that. It's been a long time with James. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Y'all met in the music business before he switched and did other things? We did. We did. Um, and yeah, I mean, and he's always been telling me about you, Omar, and he was like, definitely we have to get connected where are you based we're in dubai you're but you're both in dubai okay cool all right yeah nice yeah we're both based in dubai but we're we're gonna have been talking about it like we're actually supposed to fly stateside soon okay and we're supposed to fly up to canada soon so we're organizing those trips but i'm like it'll be cool once that happens just sort of like have a hit list of people where you have to meet with so we'll definitely make it a point to connect all right so who are you? I mean, what? there are definitely a lot of parts I left out of that that quick bio intro. Um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to sort of share it from your words and be as descriptive as you want about what it is that you're doing and the secret weapon that you hinted at in your bio as well. Okay, yeah. So originally born in Jordan, I'm Palestinian Jordanian, moved to Atlanta when I was five years old. Always wanted to be in the music business. Really started off wanting to be a singer-songwriter. And when I got to college, I just went for it. I just started networking, building relationships. I didn't have, I didn't know anybody. I started from square one, zero. And um, I just really built my way. I I launched a entertainment PR firm at the age of 19 in college. 
represented a lot of really cool people in entertainment at the time. And that's how I met L.A. Reid, who then handpicked and hired me to work on Mm -hmm. his team at Island Def Jam when he was chairman and Jay-Z was president. And, um, I, I was on, I was in the A&R department for six years. I worked on Janet Jackson, Nas, LL Cool J, Young Jeezy, Rick Ross, and the list goes on. I also ran the Atlanta office for Def Jam. And then after six years, I left. And that's the other connection. Me and James, um, we know each other because I worked with Shakir, though I was a right hand to Shakir Stewart, late, great Shakir Stewart, who is from the Bay. And that's how they know each other. And so I think that's how we first initially met. Anyway, side note, um, left Def Jam, built a recording studio in Midtown Atlanta from a warehouse. And I owned and operated that for seven years. I did artist development, talent management, and music publishing work. I had some really amazing creatives in that studio from Polo the Don to Rock City. I had Epic Records in there, Empire Distribution, and the list goes on. And then in 2019, I sold it, and I have been an, on TI's management team for the last four years. I have I work with him in all his businesses, and I helped him launch Expeditiously, which was a number one podcast. And then I currently, well, last year, launched a new all-women-led agency called C&D The Agency, um, where me and my business partner, we do marketing, branding, project management, some PR support for brands and clients, and we are mentoring the next generation of women leaders. So that is my 20-year career in a nutshell. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> summary. Yo, I love it. Thanks for that. Um, where do we begin? So many questions. I think one place we can start. So the purpose of Dukan overall is to be a, a sort of a satellite or a voice from the Middle East to the world. And you, Dina, are such a representative of that. You, you know... Everywhere you go, you are representing Arabness in some way. Does it, do you feel like being Jordanian, I know that you grew up in the States, but being Jordanian or a Palestinian, does it mean anything? Does it matter? Or is it something that we're, we just don't have a conversation about? Is there a place to have these conversations in the music business? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like now the conversation about Palestine is is getting more and more, obviously. Um, but I think what was so unique about my experience is that people, I kind of have this universal face, so they didn't really know what I was. Like, they thought, are you... Right. Are you Italian? Could you be Colombian? Are you Puerto Rican? Like, they don't know. And so I think that that universal face allowed me to get through doors that that were that kind of made it easier sometimes than maybe for others. And um, because people couldn't paint, like they couldn't pinpoint what I was or who I was. So they couldn't pigeonhole me in a certain way. And, and for me, I've always felt like I've been living in these two different worlds. Like part of me is super Arab and traditional, and I have this culture that I love. And then the other part of me is very Americanized, right? And so... I I really wasn't supposed to be here in a sense because traditionally my family, you know, it were like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a banker, something that they can tangibly understand and touch. And so when I started doing music, I didn't really have much support from my from my family or from from my parents specifically. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, they're like, she's unemployed. Yeah, she's never going to have a job. She's unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, what are you doing? <laughs> I think the first time they really like realized this could be real is that when I received my first universal music check <laughs> and I had a 401k and I'm like, this is a real job. Let me tell you. you know? <laughs> so I've always been kind of like living in like a dual reality and world. And, um, and not only did I get in the music business, but I went like, like head first into hip hop. Right. And not just hip hop, but like trap right. music, hip hop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like 30 South Atlanta right. hip hop. So it's, it's pretty interesting how I even got to this place, but it was always due to my love for music. And I just felt like when I got to college, it was my opportunity to be like, you know what, let me take, let me take a risk. Let me take a shot at something that I really am passionate about and believe in. And I just went for it. So how did you find your way to hip hop? Because I feel like there's something about being a third culture kid and being Arab that somehow we always end up at hip hop. Really? Yeah. I love all genres of music. So I grew up wanting to be Paula Abdul, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. Like that was my thing. I was a pop girl. Right. But being I think it was I think my career path had like Atlanta had so much impact and a lot to do with my career and 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 the genre of music that I landed in because we are we are you know we have been Atlanta I would say for the last 20 years the lead in hip hop the trendsetters in pop culture and so I grew up I I was able to basically be around this culture and this creative energy that isn't like any other place and so I think that's really influenced me being so um, entrenched in hip hop in in that genre because I did I did work with pop you know pop and R and B music but not as much as hip hop and I think that's just basically location the authenticity of hip hop we could like there's a connection I I have to say like especially in like the black community and the Palestinian struggle just like there's a lot of um, similarities in a sense. And so I feel like we, um, you know, I was able to, cause it's hard. It's, you know, people always ask like, how did you get in it? Like in the middle of this, it's very difficult. And I'm like, I think it was because there was just this common, um, understanding maybe and, and commonality that like, honestly, maybe is just unspoken, but you understand each other's struggles to a point and and you and can and and I'm so big on um, the authenticity of hip hop and and that it is a voice for people who can. And what I love about it is is typically people who come from like places and and challenges that normally most cannot overcome. And to just get to be that creative and to be able to create something from absolutely nothing is like amazing to me. Right. And you set examples because statistically, you're not meant to make it. Right? <laughs> yeah. But through the art form, through the express, um, through expression and being authentic to your work, you find your journey through and you do make it whether as an artist a musician a dancer a dj whatever it is it it took it took you out of that environment right it gave you wings to be able to propel yourself and fly to other places that you were that were unimaginable so for us we see that success story like growing up in the middle east you know dealing with 
racial confrontation amongst Arabs, amongst other Arabs, but then you're the black one, right? So you stand out because you're the black odd one out, right? And then you're seeing what's happening on MTV. You see the NBA, you see sports, you see, you know, black celebrities on TV. And you're like, but why are they coveted? And we're not. So then this starts this inquisition. And that starts to pull you into this world of hip hop. Yeah. And not to mention that like music in general is a universal language. It's a feeling you, you know, it's a vibe. And so you can pick up on that, whether you're understanding, you don't have to know um, exactly what they're talking about, but you can understand and you can, um, and you don't like, even if you don't understand all the words, like you can get the, the emotion behind what it is completely in music universally, you know, any, any genre. I know our listeners have a few questions about the you've you're you're at the I guess ground zero the center you're you're at the center of where music sort of gets disseminated into the world you know and the accounts that you've worked on or the clients that you've had you're not just making albums or records or whatever you're impacting culture so some people who have never left their street can tell you what streets in Atlanta look like just because of music videos you've shot there, or that they can tell you what the Bronx looks like, even though they've never been there. Um, and so that's a lot of power, I guess. You're in a, in a place of like extreme power when it comes to the music industry. Do you see any avenues for artists globally to hit that kind of success? Because a lot of the music industry here, I would say in the Middle East, Everyone's trying to hit those uh, th- those kind of thresholds or get on the podiums that you guys are standing on. Let's just tell the truth now. Do you feel like there's an avenue or are we simply not there yet? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say because I don't know what the structures are in the different countries and how the business setup is. I know for Atlanta, we are more of a creative place than a music business place because most of the time the talent, the talent does their creativity here. But then typically you go to like a New York or LA to get the deals done or to like sign to a label or to go do media. And, um, and so it's, we, we're developing more of a business structure here. And, And don't get me wrong. There's plenty of, entertainment and music businesses that thrive here in Atlanta, but it's just not set up as like where major, a lot of the major corporations haven't like built their homes here the way that I feel like they should or could, because we have, we really have the, the true talent and creativity in this, this like atmosphere here. So it's a little different. A lot of artists come here from other places to get, that piece of um, just that swag, just that, you know, culture that we have here. So I think it's to say, I think it can be created really um, anywhere that there's enough people wanting to create and thrive in that way. So I don't, I don't think that it's um, not possible. I think you just have to break through the break, break the ground basically. Fair. And so what's clear that, you know, what I've, what I've learned from what you've just said is obviously there are creative centers and then there are business centers where if you look at it from a business perspective, 
there's manufacturing, and then there's distribution. And so what makes a great biz- a business? So every, everybody and their dog wants to open a label the moment they think that they can kind of do it better themselves, right? I, I, I know people, <laughs> I know too many people with labels and I don't know what those labels do. So, and so can you tell us what Absolutely. makes, like, okay, first of all, should you start a label? <laughs> when should you start a label? And what, what's the makeup of a business that does well as a business in the music industry? Because the artist, that's subjective. I believe there's a lot of subjectiveness. But the business, you, there are structures there. Can you the tell business, us about that? Great question. Well, first of all, you can't start anything without good vision and some money, right? So people want to start a label, but it requires a lot of money to develop talent, to um, distribute an album, to um, market it, to brand it, and to to do everything that needs to be done for an artist. So I would say, like, yes, it feels like everybody and their mom and dad have labels, right? right. <laughs> and then I want to bring up another when I was, when I started a recording studio, I didn't start the recording studio to be in the recording studio business. I started that studio to create an environment to nurture talent. And I was banking on making hit records and developing dope talent that would then bring in the money. Not that I would be, then my business model wasn't making money off booking sessions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because I mean, when you open a studio, you imagine I have a resource, which is a studio, and I'm going to book that out. And that's how I'm going to make rent every month. But you, your model was much more talent focused, which is great talent will bring it, bring in the work. Exactly. So I did have to book it out to make, you know, ends meet, but I also had the ability to then nurture talent in a way where I had endless ability or access to be, being in that uh, creative studio environment where they could create and, and develop and become better. So, um, that was really where the, like the big hits came from, like in the sense of like your business development. And, and I would say the same thing for labels, like, you know, first of all, gain some experience in the industry before you just jump out there and start something, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody today can make an album on their computer and put it on SoundCloud. Like, it's so easy now, right? And so that's what makes right. it oversaturated because it's like anybody thinks that they can do it. And that's not really the formula. Um, you want to, this business is strictly based on relationships. Relationships, business, and talent are what make it. So you kind of have to have all of those working for you to, to make it work. Um, great talent without great work ethic doesn't fly either, you know, and, and you can pour a lot of money into something that's not that great and that's not going to work either. So it's like having the perfect recipe, um, because this is the music business. So it's not just based on talent. You have to be business savvy, but you also have to um, have something that consumers and 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 like fans want to hear. And so there has to, you know, for me, when I whenever I was signing talent, I always looked for three things. It was um, what was missing in the like current environment, like what, like I didn't want to. I didn't want to sign people that were like anybody else. I wanted to sign people that um, 
were different and brought something different, a void in the market. Um, number two, their work ethic. And number three, it's like an it factor that you just can't like create yourself. It's like that star quality that I felt like, you know, I wanted real solid talent, like not a one hit wonder type of thing, but a longevity career, a, a touring artist, an artist that could money for a very long time. And so that's what I looked for when I was signing um, talent to my production team because I didn't a production company because I didn't want to call it a label because it wasn't truly a label, right? It was a production right. company. You're you're developing talent. Right. An artist development company. An artist development company. Exactly. And but but I think it's really interesting that you took that sort of approach because it did sort of solidify you as somebody that is talent focused, people focused. And I think that that's probably contributed to the success of your of your career. Um, speaking of which, uh, where is the music industry going? Like, where do you feel the future of the music? In- like, because well, the reason I asked the question is because I'm confused by SoundCloud. I'm confused about monetizing things that come from SoundCloud. I, I love the democracy of it all. I'm confused about what it means for all of us musically. Um, but then there's conversations about NFTs and all of this stuff. What is real? Like right now in the well, world I'm that you're confused operating. About NFTs. <laughs> you're confused about NFTs. I, I, okay, I, cool. Yes. You know, it's it's like I'm like I'm also confused about cryptocurrency. Like I never got into that because I'm like, I don't I don't I just know what I know and I know that this is like kind of a little bit beyond me, um, in a sense. I you know, I think with music, um there is so oversaturated now, I feel like it's very rare to find like superstar talent anymore the way we used to have it. And it's got to go back to real quality music, um, real talent, people that can really connect to the audience and perform. And I think those are things that can never go away or get old or get tired. And um, so hopefully we, uh, because the, you know, we went from such an extreme of like these powerhouses they were the gatekeepers and they control what we could and couldn't hear to the other extreme of anybody and everybody can be a rapper. Anybody and everybody can be a singer. And we'll just, we're just throwing shit on the internet and let's see what sticks. It went from like one extreme to another. So I think it has to balance itself out at some point. It certainly does. And I, I, I think I'm hoping we can, because I feel like the quality of creativity, creativity cannot suffer when there's more access. That's paradoxical to me. That doesn't make sense. You know, we should find finding better creative. And the other thing is we, and this has been for a while, you don't make money off of the sale of music anymore. You just don't, you, you build a brand and that brand is what makes the money for the talent and it's with their touring it's with their merchandising it's the endorsement deals it's all the other things that you're attached to and it's building that brand um that is going to make you the true money that you you want to have because the music doesn't really make you the money it's just your platform so and i think that's something really uh important to know right because OT, how many of our listeners are from the music industry a significant amount of our (laughs) listeners are from I mean, we're super, we're heavily tapped into the music industry in this part of the world just simply because of the nature of our business. I mean, we 
you know, we have our own sound studios as well that we operate from. We uh, that, and we used to after hours we used to rent them out to we used to have musicians come in for free. If you're an up and coming artist, you need somewhere to record. You know, you're more than welcome to come and use our space. We're in video production. I mean, how many music videos have we shot for artists? So, and I used to be in radio before that. Dean has been the only one who said you don't make money from the music. You make money from everything else that comes around it. It's from the peripherals. So if you're not building a great brand as a musician from round one, day one, then you're really on the back foot, in my opinion, right? And I think it's even harder for Arab musicians because they, I mean, you know, they don't have, we don't have it's the platforms a, it's a, Because it's the language barrier, right? Because here's the thing, and I, I'm like for Arab musicians to give a context, a lot of the artists from this part of the world choose to, you know, rap or sing in English. I'm like, as soon as you do that, your competitive landscape now is much larger. You got to be, you got to be so good that, you know, Mike in LA who's 17 is going to be interested in your music that has never heard of you before. And why would he listen to you out of all the other artists that are in his repertoire so that's that's always going to be a big challenge versus the one who chooses to do it in arabic at least now maybe you have a little there's something distinct about you that could potentially interest people that you know like if you like to listen to portuguese or cuban music right so now there's that bit of a, a connection there so what's i mean the music industry is a very tough one you know that it there are times where it can get very toxic i mean I've actually dealt with artist management at this part of the world. We used to fly in a lot of artists from the U.S. to perform out here. So I've, I've dealt with that side of things as well. And I've heard a lot of stories, but I'm curious, I think, for you also as as a as a woman, as an entrepreneur in this space as well, um, how do you, what were some of the biggest challenges you ever had to deal with and how did you overcome them? Because I feel like there's a lot of lessons that people can learn from you in this. Yeah. And I just want to say this just to clarify. I mean, you can make money from the your publishing. Music makes money. Like it doesn't not make money, but the true big dollars come from all the other things that surround it. So I just want to make that clear because it's not like you don't make money, but you, you know, but it's not the same yeah, as that's it was. Significant. Mm-hmm. And um, for me as a woman, just being a young woman, I mean, I think with women in any male-dominated industry, we are constantly having to work three times harder than a man to prove ourselves and our worth. For me, it was, you know, it's just being about really being persistent and consistent and having to do better than everybody else in order because in this game and especially in hip hop, you don't just walk in the door with respect. You have to really earn it. And it's not given freely. So you have to pay your dues. You have to do the hard work. And and people have to see that consistently for them to then be like, okay, she's going to stay around here for a while. This is not just, you know what I mean? And um, and I think... I think that's true for women in in any like true truly male dominated industry. And and this business is not for the, you know, the the lighthearted. It's like it, it's it, it's you have to have thick skin and you have to be able to really maneuver and and be flexible with like it's constantly changing and nothing is ever really like like things just change so rapidly in the business because you got to think music is 
uh, reflection of what's going on in the world. So at any climate, things change so rapidly. You know what I mean? So it, it, it it's a very interesting business because there's no rules and there's no true guideline. Like I can't say to you, like, if you do A, B, C, and D, you're going to make it here. No, I, everybody's journey is really different. Absolutely. And so a question further about, you know, whenever we talk about the issues around women in male dominated, you know, in, uh, uh, professions, my experience, I've, I've worked in a male dominated profession for, this is like 18 years now. So two decades. And I, I feel like we've made, we've made some, we've covered some great ground, but there's a lot more to go. And, um, so I want you to let talk to us about, is it, as you said, it was CND, which is your, which is your agency. Can you tell us more about what, what's the ethos, what's the purpose and what, hole does it fill in the market? I'm so glad you asked that because like coming up in the music business, I could count how many women I saw in like C-suite positions. Most women were in supporting and administrative roles. Now that's changed and it's become a lot more women being bosses and leaders and really stepping up and, and not being so much in competition with each other that I felt like we were more inclusive of each other now because we're not the only woman in the room all the time. Um, we have a lot more way to go with that. But for me, I had nothing but male mentors the entire time. I never had a woman mentor. And so I wanted to be that change and difference for the next generation of women leaders. So my business partner and I, and she had been in um, also in marketing, branding, and PR and male-dominated industry for a very long time. And we both wanted to to be able to create an environment where women can collaborate together and have true mentorship and guidance from people that have done it and look like them. And so we really want to provide more opportunity, especially for minority women, to to um, to just have opportunity that they n- might not have in, in a different way. And so, you, you know, that's the real purpose of CND because we were both successful people doing our own separate thing. We didn't need to create this. We created it because we really wanted to and we're passionate about um, really giving back and, 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 um, and mentoring. And so what, what is the typical kind of participant at C or a mentee who would, who would be the perfect mentee at CND? So we have, um, right now 10 women, everybody has a different skill set, and, um, we, we train them up. So we bring in clients, they, we, we teach them how to deal with like whatever their skill set is, we help train them. And we give them the opportunity to work on real accounts that, um, they get to kind of lead in a sense. So it's, it's on hand. You have to do the work. I mean, you're, you're working, it's a job, but you're also getting, the guidance that you might not normally have in a different, you know, job uh, um, or position. And the perfect um, woman to work on our team is somebody that is um, willing to learn, uh, wanting to grow, has knows what they want to do and wants to nurture that skill set, and and is down to work with the all women team. <laughs> And what about, and this, this is something that I'm not, you know, I'm not sure because I don't know the environment that you work in, but how was it received when you, when you, when you, when you kind of sent out the first release and launched the agency, 
I'm sure there was a lot of support, but did you receive any sort of, you know, that eyebrow lift that like, oh, great, another woman thing? Like, is it, was there any resistance? We didn't feel it. We got a lot of support, but I would say that sometimes when I think men feel like, you're excluding them. And it's not that we're excluding them. It's just that we're trying to level up the playing field here, right? And let me be clear, our clients, majority are men. We we usually work majority with men. So it's not that we're, we're not, this is not some feminist group and like against males. This is just women that want to support women and provide better opportunities. That's it. Great. I think, and I think that needs clarity because I, I always, I'm so, I, I don't know if the word is suspicious, but I've been, I've been jaded a bit by the word, the female empowerment sort of movement that doesn't actually empower women. Uh, when, and this has happened a lot with Dukkan where brands try to like get on board with us and we're just tokenized. And I have a real, I take real issue with that, but I'm so happy that there's not only apprenticeship, mentorship, opportunity, hands-on learning, training, and access to your, you know, to your resources, which is really all you need. If you give a girl that, everything will be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's really wonderful. And congratulations on launching the agency, on doing so well. I think it's really inspiring. For sure. Do you ever think of expanding out this way? or just more east, I guess, off of where you are right now. <laughs> Girl, we need you here. Like, in this place more than anywhere, the, your agency needs to exist here. I would love to grow it to the point where we can, you know, have it in different uh, places in the world. But the, But I definitely, in general, I have been longing to work with my people in the Middle East. Like, I want to do something. I, me and James talk about it all the time. I'm like, include me. Whatever project it is, include me because I, I want to I do it. Like, I want to be down. And I feel like I have a lot to share and there's a lot of connection. And so if you guys have anything going on that you feel like I can chime in on and be helpful or we can, there's some synergy to work together, I'm totally down because um, it would bring me a lot of joy to do that. Wonderful. Not without a doubt. James has been saying he he's supposed he was supposed to be flying out here in December. I don't know if that plan is still on. What's he working on? But I think even even if he's not coming, you should just hop on a plane. You should just take a vacation, through. come through. Yeah, yeah, and then we could take care of your trip out here. Like that, that's on us. That's easy. You know, we'll do the Arab hospitality thing. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know. we'd be happy to. <laughs> I, yes, and I have been to Dubai. Uh, when my sister lived there, I came and visited yeah. and I've been to, you know, so I've been, you know, it's, it, I love it. It's a great place. It's such a great like nightlife too. And um, I wanted to ask you, Omar, are you still big on Clubhouse a lot? Not, a, not as much. Okay. It's yeah. Me either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. James is the only rising star of Clubhouse <laughs> right competing with Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> competing you know? with Zuckerberg for the top spot. But like, it yeah, it just it, it's not that it went quiet. It's just like okay, it, it had a flare it and it's, yeah. yeah, and it's not there anymore. And I think for this part of the world as well, it became a strange place where it's just there's a lot of bickering on. <laughs> there was a lot <laughs> of people bickering. Were just arguing about so... yeah, and I was like, you know, that's a like I'm a busy man. Like <laughs> none of this is worth my time anymore. And James would hit me up every now and then, and I was like, you know what, James. If you want me in a session, let me know. I got you. I will. I'm ready. I'm ready to die. You know me. 
But other than that, it's hard for me to jump in and just listen to these conversations. And sometimes I get dragged into different things here and there. So like, yeah, no, I'm okay. Like, is is it is this still relevant in Atlanta? Like, does it matter? Or is it just you or everybody around you as well? It's kind of like, eh, not Some so people are still in, but most people I know were kind of like, eh. Especially as soon as it kind of opened, it opened up, it was kind of like, the one place that hasn't been closed in this entire pandemic is right here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'll tell you that much. We have been wide open the whole time. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we closed for like two weeks and that was it, you know? Well, I think that's wonderful. For, uh, like, I'm, It's wonderful for business, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? But I hope everybody's safe, um, you know, keeping safe anyway. But I do feel, I think that's part of creative spaces is like you can't shut them down. They just don't no. like, they just don't shut down. They don't want to. So, you know, politics aside, that's just the way they, it is. They'll find, so. they'll find their way around politics. Like, no, no, we need to create. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. what, you do, you will so, you, what has gotten so huge in Atlanta and really in America is hookah. Hookah is like taking over. Yeah. I mean, it's become this, you got to have hookah in every club, every lounge, every restaurant, you know. It's crazy. The way they do it too. Like I remember I went That's our contribution. <laughs> right? Like I remember I was in LA. I was in LA what in twenty fifteen and that that was the first time I've experienced like the the American version of a hookah lounge. And it's so funny because like even in LA, you'll still find an Egyptian guy that takes care of it for you. Right. <laughs> and it's so funny because like the clubs in L- in California what they usually close at like two AM, right? And then the after-party destination is the hookah lounge. And I think coming from the Middle East, what was shocking is seeing it on the de- on the tables. Because, like, you don't do that here. It's it's on the floor right next to your seat, <laughs> right? And I was just shocked. And then they would have, like, four or five pipes out of it. So a group of people would share them. And I'm like, I've never seen that. <laughs> that was all new. <laughs> That's not cultural. <laughs> they, they definitely no. remixed it. They yeah. definitely remixed it. They did. They did. It was, it was just very entertaining to see. But to be honest, the, the Arab population was huge at that time when I was there. For some reason, like a lot of kids from Saudi were coming to study film. I was noticing a lot of Arabs in the area. Um, a lot of Palestinian Jordanians in Jersey City as well, from my experience. Yeah, I, I was not expecting it. Like my cousin lived in this one district when I'd go spend time with him over there. And you walk into a CVS and it's like a Jordanian guy that walk, works there. You walk into the bank and it's like those girls who was Palestinian and her hijab behind the, behind the counter, you know? So I was like, are you all in Jersey city? <laughs> like I, that was, that was very exciting to see. Cause I think when you're stateside and you meet Arabs or you walk somewhere and you hear the music and you talk to someone like, Hey, I'm in Maghrib or whatever. There's this one like, Oh my God, there's a, a knowing, you know, that, that yeah. I usually enjoy yeah. there. Which is very really nice. For sure. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I'm but no, definitely. We got it we gotta bring you out here. We'll sort you I'm out. I'm ready. And I think and I understand why James kept saying, like, you guys need to meet, you guys need to hang out. Because I can already see there's a lot that we could do. And now that you've met Reem, like you two will get along like a house on fire for sure. I'm totally down. I can't wait to to build with you guys. And I'm so happy that you wanted to have me on the podcast for sure thank you so much for your time thank you for kicking it with us today i hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations also if you don't mind 
hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holla at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.